All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is all you need. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju, a little juju, a little juju. A little juju is the way. It's how I start my day. Can't firm no say. And I'll never keep it play. I'll take your photo to the grave. But that ain't even my thing. I just stay at the crossroads, pray. I just pour a little honey from my babe to make them stay. Cause I hate when bay leaves, but I manifest a little with my bay leaves. I'm my ancestors, baby. So I give them everything that they gave me, yeah. So I can't be stopped. Manifested everything, gives me props. I'm spiritually rounded while I'm on the top. My spirit's surrounded, so I'll never drop, drop. Welcome to A Little Juju Podcast. This is the podcast all about black as spirituality, honoring our ancestors and ourselves, decolonizing our spiritual practices throughout ancient Africa and through the diaspora, one episode at a time, because liberation gonna be in the spirit. My name is Juju Bay, and I'm the host of this wonderful, best iHeartRadio, <laughs> best nominated. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Let me get. I am the host of this here iHeartRadio best spirituality and religion podcast of twenty. What year was it? Of 2019. Period. Um, <laughs> I am a hoodoo practitioner. I am an Orisha devotee. I'm a psychic medium. I'm a diviner. I'm a Reiki practitioner. And I'm really just, you know, somebody trying to get free. You know what I'm saying? I'm somebody who has experiences and I and I like to share them with you all. So hopefully they inspire something in you. Yes, I'm a bad bitch witch. That's it. That's all. And welcome to the show. I'm very excited today because we're doing something a little bit different. But this was just personally very important for me. So a few months ago, it's been a while at this point, I emailed, I I interviewed a friend of mine, Hess Love, who is, uh, she's a hoodoo, she's a scholar, she's a writer, she's amazing, she's also a friend. And I was thinking that I was going to have like YouTube content where I was going to do interviews and then I would also have the podcast where I did other interviews. And so the first person that I wanted to be a part of like the Juju Tube interviews was was Hess. But I kind of have bridged them together and now they're not separate separate interviews. I'm not doing separate content too much. So I want to re-release Hess's interview because it was never on the podcast. It was just for the YouTube platform. And I'm just like, nah, Hess needs to be on the pod and everyone's just gonna be on the same things because it's easier. So yes, I uh this this episode is just a re-release of Hess's original episode. So you may have watched it on YouTube, but if not, it is now being held in the sacred space of a little juju podcast. Um and so that is what this episode is. We're gonna get back to our regularly scheduled episodes in a couple weeks where I'll shout out my patrons and everything but this I just wanted to be a space where we did a re-release with Hess um, to get in this this wonderful interview we talk about ancestors and information that she knows she just knows so many gems because again she's a scholar (laughs) Um, and just communal altars and all of the work that Hess has been doing so in her information will be in the show notes on how to reach out to her she does a lot of really wonderful things around the city in Baltimore she lives here 
and um, a lot of important spiritual work, a lot of important communal spiritual work. So yeah, we we stand has over here. So please enjoy this interview, and I pray that y'all enjoy. All you need is a little juju. Hey y'all, welcome to another episode of A Little Juju Podcast, and this is what something new that we're doing, the new extension to A Little Juju Podcast for YouTube. So I think I'm going to call it A Little Juju Interview, but I don't know. But either way, I'm very excited to uh, offer this and for my first guest to be a friend of mine, um, a fellow Marylander. Um, Hess Love is here. And so I just want to say thank you so much, Hess, for being here. Hess is a Buddha practitioner, honestly, a scholar, an amazing, amazing, amazing writer um and someone that i honestly look up to whose words have honestly have changed me even just from seeing stuff on facebook so i'm really excited to uh create this space for has to be here so thank you so much has thank you so much for having me i'm excited i'm excited to is this it's not it's not your first person that's in baltimore is it um no i interviewed someone from baltimore uh last week okay yeah okay yeah. Oh, so it's like Baltimore week, like we taking this shit over. Yes, it's Baltimore week, Smerlin week. Um, okay, so let's get right into it. So how do you identify yourself? I know I said a few things, but how do you identify? Um, I identify myself as Black, a hoodoo practitioner, um, a conjurer. I know that Mama Rue has made mention on Facebook recently about the differences between that, and that was something for me to really swallow, because I also have been using hoodoo and conjure interchangeably. Um, a queer person, a mother. Um, I do like a like an independent scholar. Like I am in school, but I most of the things that I research are actually outside of school. Um, and just somebody that really loves humanity, loves the world, and learning how to do that a lot better. Oh, um, I'm curious just because you brought up that distinction, and I've I've said this a little bit on the show too. Sometimes using hoodoo and conjure uh, interchangeably, but there there is a distinction. Can you talk a little bit about the distinction that you found? I'm trying to remember. Oh my goodness, I have to remember exactly what she said because like she really broke it down. She was like hoodoo, conjure, root work. Um, and something else like completely different things and that people use them interchangeably mm-hmm. and I was like whoa yeah it's me I use them interchangeably <laughs> and I cannot remember how she like and so the reason I can't remember because I couldn't like I'm still like digesting like how she differentiated hoodoo and conjure but I remember like partially like in the group that she runs she was saying that a lot of people can consider themselves hoodoo because hoodoo is not only a religion a tradition but it's a people it's a culture and you can be a hoodoo and not have a a specificity you know but like not all hoodoos are root workers not all hoodoos are conjurers kind of thing so like hoodoo is like the base level of who you are and who we are in this tradition and so that was kind of like the first concept I'm really swallowing I'm like that makes sense that makes sense mm-hmm. and then that you work your way and you earn your way up to root work um and I think that she's made mention that um the word conjure was a lot of a lot of times something that white people kind of added to as a word um for us to use and she was especially saying um I think it's like Hyatt um I can't remember his whole name but like people who wrote the uh, beliefs of southern black folks or like that whole big five volume anthology were saying like sometimes the people um that wrote those used the word conjure and they were interviewing people that didn't always know what they were doing or Mm -hmm. talking about or you know probably just straight up lied and so she was talking about like the historical connotation of that word not always being something something that um I guess that black people use naturally but was kind of fed to 
mm-hmm. us that they conjure. So it was really interesting. Interesting. I'd be curious to do more research about that, but I have actually heard, you know, this idea of like, just because you practice who doesn't mean that you conjure because conjuring is actually working with a spirit of something and you might not necessarily be intentionally working roots and putting things together. So that does make sense. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, okay, so how did you speak of Hoodoo and Conjure? How did you find that work? Did you always were you always interested? Like, how were you raised? Were you raised? You know, what's your religious and spiritual background? I think with a lot of people, um, I kind of first started like learning about African and diaspora traditional religions that were not Hoodoo. So, like um, with like Asheshe or other like Yoruba based. Uh, traditions or Vudan, um, and kind of wondering, like, is there something every other country in the diaspora seems to have something? Is there something that, you know, Black folks in the U.S. have? And, like, literally stumbling into that and trying to, you know, figure out what that was. Um, and, like, with, like most Black folks, like, we kind of grow up and we um, become more intentful in learning hoodoo and then we look back and realize the you know what our, our elders and our grandparents and our parents and our families were teaching us were hoodoo but it just didn't have a name they weren't gonna like they didn't come out and say I'm gonna teach you hoodoo or anything of that nature it was just the way that we lived it was the way that we did things it was the the way that we um like held funerals and the rituals we did when someone died when someone just gave birth um and kind of looking back and like having the knowledge now to know what the name of it is and say oh my god that's what this was um so that's kind of where I find myself I'm not really a church person I know that a lot of people um grew up in the church and I've gone to church definitely but it's not I have never been that person who had to go to church as a kid or was had to go every Sunday so even though I know very base level on um, like church culture um, it's not as in depth as kind of recognizing um, being there like day in, day out, every week, and kind of rec- being able to recognize so much throughout the year. So I feel like my um, understanding or knowing of Hudu is kind of secular in that way. And not like secular as in not sacred, but like secular as in the Christian way of talking about being secular. Um, so that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um Thank you. It reminded me of the article that you wrote um, around learning really about hoodoo through your grandmother and saying, you know, I just want to amplify this point of like, it's not always about our elders saying, okay, baby, now I'm about to teach you some hoodoo. But really just looking back to, and that's how I felt through this article, really just looking back to your past and seeing like, oh, my grandma, you know, she did feel a type of way when uh, you said like, when I swept too close to her feet. Um mm-hmm. And, you know, and recognizing that is who so sort of what, I guess, what sort of, what moment in your life kind of coined those moments as hoodoo? Like, how did you stumble upon the actual practice to be able to say, oh, wait, I've done that. So it was learning about like what. I guess I think it's dismissed as black superstitions Mm -hmm. and kind of, I just thought, cause like, I know that growing up, I believe them. And then my dad would come like, Oh, those are just superstitions. Your grandma being weird. Don't worry about it. And so just kind of growing up and learning, like these are black superstitions. Like the whole thing was sweeping the feet. I had no idea anybody else's grandma did that and so like kind of like reading that I was like oh my god like I was not alone (laughs) and then like learned that a lot of black folks have almost like lost their life because they almost swept their mama's feet (laughs) and she was not playing she would take them out of there um so definitely like looking through folklore and superstitions um listening to a lot of older black people speak and then also um studying more so about black like death rituals in the U.S. 
um, and just the way that we, there was a book, it's a book that I was, I read called, um, lay, uh, lay, as I think it's lay down body or lay body down. Um, and it's about like African-American grief work in cemeteries. And in the book, she was saying that, um, throughout all cultures, no matter how much they have lost, you can find some of the most, uh, the most retention through how they do death, how they process death, how they process funerals. And I found that very, very true because black people still, even though a lot of our grieving practices have been adulterated, we still grieve in a very distinct and special way. Um, and just kind of thinking about like death being and transformation being like a really big theme in my life. And I've, I've experienced a lot of that in major ways and also going with my grandparents, they were older. So there was always somebody dying um, that they knew, unfortunately. And so just kind of looking back at that and just seeing all the rituals in terms of what they did when somebody um died was how I kind of was like oh my god that was hoodoo and then also learning about petitions I had no idea they were called petitions but I knew my grandmother wrote things out to manifest them and she had like a big journal as well and I just thought that was just her thing and like growing up and learning like black women do words they speak whether they speak them they pray or they write them and my grandmother was really big on prayer and learning about just the contrast and also in words and the relationship that Black women um, and Black femmes have with words in order to um, bend the world around them has been like those defining moments of like, wow, like this is what hoodoo is. Yes. I love, wow, everything you just said. But yes to the bending of the words and how Black women use words um, because it is, it is such an important part of, I think, so many of our spiritual traditions, the power of prayer. Um, and I know you weren't necessarily raised, you know, super Christian, um, but I think for those who were and in different spiritual spaces, we know like praying is just, you just got to pray on it. And I think, you know, at some moments I was just talking about this recently on Twitter, like back in the day feeling like, why everybody was talking about prayer? Like, I don't care about praying, like go do something. Yeah. Everyone always sending your prayers, but like, what are prayers? That's not action. But now being in a place of like, actually prayers, prayer is action. It is a different form yeah. of action, but it is action and it is work. And me, and it's meaning. Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah. Words are action. Cause like you just, you speak it, like you speak it or write it to be like, you do something with these words and you put life into them somehow. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Like, and like looking back on like how like the church people, cause I have seen church folks pray for folks, the, the sick and the shut in and everything. Um, and like what they were doing with that were conjuring wellness, or at least if they couldn't get the person to be better, they were kind of helping them transition smoothly um, into the next realm. So it was really just a way of caring for people that is really beautiful. Um, and you write like there is like power and strength in words. And plus we know words because we use words to change people's minds, to teach people to decolonize and, you know, learn about anti-blackness and how to fight it, learn about massage noir and all these other things too. It's hella powerful. Words are super powerful. Yeah. And you're definitely a conjurer with your words. That's definitely how I see you. Like you are an amazing, amazing writer. I know I said it before, but like amazing, amazing. Um, So as we are talking about transition, I wanted to get to this a little bit later, but since we're on it now, I was reading your article um, entitled How How I Use Ancestral Veneration to Navigate My Mother's Death. Um, and I thought it was so powerful, um, especially as you told the story of your mother passing and then your grandmother who raised you um, after your mother passed also passing. So having to deal with um, grieving almost two times over, especially of this energy of mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to know sort of how ancestral ele- uh, elevation and veneration has helped you 
process and move through your grief. Not that the grief goes away, as you said, mm-hmm. but how yeah. you move through it. Ooh, that is so heavy. I think it's for the longest time, like I kind of viewed grief as something to get rid of. Mm-hmm. Because growing up, like my family would help me process the grief, but it was always like a you move up and you move on and you don't forget, but you like you become elevated from it. And I noticed like I keep getting elevated in my life, but this grief couldn't elevate it with me. <laughs> and I'm like, I cannot knock this thing. And I'm just like, oh my God, what do I do with like I cannot get rid of this grief? So it's really kind of helped me like learn like you you can't get rid of it. You learn how to manage it. Um, and then also that ancestor veneration, you know, is a facet of grief, like because you're remembering, um, you're paying reverence to, you're saying this person's not here. Um, and the thing that I love about hoodoo, especially. Um, and one of the reasons like I, I tilt towards it because learning that some, not all, but some other um, diaspora or African traditional religions believe that if you die tragically, like you cannot be, um, what is it, like, re- re- you know, revered, like in death, like it's kind of like a, you kind of don't get forgotten, but you just, you're not someone you put on the altar, you're not someone you work with. And in thinking about so much that Black people go through with the U.S., um, in the U.S., that almost all of us die tragically in some way, whether we literally die tragically or because life is a, like it leads up to your death, it's a part of your death. We experience so much tragedy and, and trauma. Like tragedy is a part of our life regardless. Um, and so kind of realizing that um, hoodoo acknowledges the way things are um, right now as opposed to the way things were before whiteness, before colonization. And the work of doing ancestral elevation has been like the main thing. Like this is why we elevate people up out of um, the means in which they died and lived in order to, you know, help us just not lose them because, you know, but also um, help them like move up uh, in the world so we can work with them. And especially since some of the people who died tragically, um, we do have to work with them in order to like untie generational things and generational knots. And I have a lot of generational things that I've inherited from both my mother and my grandmother, who's my paternal grandmother that raised me. And so I couldn't really let them go because the work that I need to do generationally like heavily depends on them. Um, so like just the process of elevation and knowing that I don't have to leave them um, I can elevate them and I continuously elevate them. Like it's not, it wasn't a one and done thing for me. And it's still not. Um, but also kind of like they are part of me and they are people who like for a while I was really feeling alone. Like I'm really facing life alone, but also like working with ancestors. It's just kind of like, I might be physically feeling physically alone, but I know that there is an entity or an energy that wants well for me what's good for me and is working for me and not just like a distant memory of something that I can no longer tap into but like something I can work with and that I can use to um elevate myself as well mm-hmm. yes thank you for that and you know it kind of reminds me of my episode where I talked a lot about this called niggas die different and just the mm-hmm. dramatic ways that black people you know that we do pass and so who do being this tradition that um acknowledges Oh, there we go. Uh, Hoodoo being the tradition that acknowledges, like, everybody did not die in a peaceful, loving way because we do not live in a peaceful, loving place, so many of us, Mm -hmm. around peaceful, loving things. Um, And so being able to continue to work with those spirits is super important. Um, I'm just wondering, do you have any specific advice for anyone who might be dealing with grief in this moment as we are in the middle of a global pandemic, as we are also in the middle of various uprisings uh, throughout the 
the world, really, um, any advice on or things maybe that you have pulled or read around how we can do grieving rituals or how we can celebrate and honor the lives of those who have passed on? Agreed, agreed. Like we die hella different. Um, I don't think we've died the same for hundreds of years. And like it, ooh, that is so heavy and so deep. And just like our relationship with death and how that even informs our tradition and how we see of like, no, we cannot let people go unless they were an absolute monster. Like we have to bring them up because we need them to resist. Um, and the energies that they do have lingering, probably like the angers or frustrations, whatever they may have to help us bust through, you know, like this thing um, that really does make us die hella different and sometimes traumatic and also thinking about the same reason that we die different has impacted the way that we do rituals around death. Um, because like in that same book I mentioned, it, it mentioned like some, some slave masters were more lenient and let people do their rituals. Some did not. A lot of people had to get buried at night. Um, there was a certain direction in which black people had to be buried. Um, I, and I forgot, it was like your head was to the east or something, but it was like really east to west, not north to south. And I'll tell you, like, I'll send the information to you, but I forgot which way it was. And I was thinking about this pandemic and the fact that Black people, a lot of, sometimes these people are dying and they cannot get their families' bodies. And the way that is impacting, like, how this person can be buried, will they be buried in the right way? Because the belief is if you're buried in the wrong way, like, you're going to be really jacked up. Right. Um, and so how it's impacting our, our grief ritual in that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's such a good point. I've been thinking so much, so much of how people have not have a, had access to the bodies of their loved ones um, because of the pandemic and having funerals on Zoom, you know, and just like, what is that actually doing to the Black psyche? What is that doing to the spiritual, the spirit psyche? And how are we going to move forward in this new way that we've been having to live and also die with each other? I've been thinking a lot about that. So thank you. Um, so speaking of ancestors and elevating and, and passing, um, uh, last weekend it was actually, um, was the Say Her Name event in Baltimore. And it was such a powerful, powerful event. I just want you to tell people what that is first and then we can just really get into it. But can you just speak to what that event was and how you, how it came to be? I'm excited to. Um, so it was the, ooh, it's heavy. So it was like knowing that we don't get to like properly do the grief rituals the same way um, that we would originally want to, especially when someone dies tragically, sometimes trying to get everything together to do the funeral in a way that you want to is overshadowed by your grief because you only not only have grief the person died, but you have to deal with the events that, you know, caused their death. And if someone, if the person that um, died is someone whose name made the national movie, you have all these people, you know, in your face, you have all these folks who are holding on to your grief as well. And it just challenges so much. Um, so just thinking about like Corin Gaines, Sandra Bland, like the way that their own families have been, you know, impacted, you know, and how they grief just because um, one, they died tragically and right. two, because like their grief became a collective grief and how that, you know, um, changed up their own like personal family rituals um, and kind of doing a ritual to like elevate these, you know, particular people um, is how it started. 
market. Like the idea was to not leave these particular black women and femmes and trans women as well um, alone to not be elevated, to not be thought of. Like we would start an elevation process. So we would build an altar as the first day and it being on the ground to you know go up higher as each day goes. Um, and then the, the energy from the community, from the community altar building, from the libations we pour, from the ways that we dance, we sing, would carry us over into the, the next however and days to elevate them as well. Um, and so just kind of doing an ancestral elevation process for Black women, Black femmes, Black girls, unfortunately, little girls, um, Black trans women um, who just lost their lives to police violence, domestic violence, or just other like systemic misogyny. Right. It was such a powerful event. It was a very heavy event and not necessarily in a sad. I mean, it was it was grief heavy. It was joy heavy. It was empowering heavy. It was heavy just all the way around. But it was so good because you could feel those spirits moving in that place. And it was one of the most impactful things that I've been at or attended or anything in a long time, maybe ever. Um, so I'm just really grateful to you and the other organizers for creating that space, especially in Baltimore, too, um, where there's just our own little bubble of of situations that we experience that I think sometimes people outside of here don't fully get or understand. Um, it's very particular to this land. And so to, to know that there were like three altars in Baltimore honoring the lives of Black friends and Black women, all Black women and girls, it was just so moving. It was so, so moving. Um, can you talk a little bit about the importance of creating spaces like that or even community altars? Like, why should we do them? Should we do them? What are they for? So I, the importance of creating a, a community altar, um, I know that the, the basic level, we know that an altar is a way of taking up space and declaring space for the people and the things of the altar. And so uh, like at the basic level, we're taking up space for Black women and femmes and girls, taking up space for their stories, their lives, their faces, their names, um, and, and to remember them. But other than that, or on top of that, like when you build an altar, you kind of take everything that is in you and you build it. And so um, you build it outwards. And so kind of to have particularly the reason why I like for it to be Black women and femmes and girls and trans women um, and non-binary folks, femmes and everything, um, is that we are taking what's inside of ourselves to build up like an altar or a sacred space for each other not just the the women and the girls who were killed but also each other and we're also elevating ourselves along with that altar because our energy is in there too um so that's like i think that's the most important part of the the altar building is recognizing that we are doing this you know we're taking everything that's inside of us um and all our griefs and all the ways that we have been erased and dismissed or you know maybe like shut down or silenced and we're you know taking that power and creating like a physical, tangible things saying it's not going to happen to us anymore. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to let it happen to these people anymore either. Um, so that's the importance of altar building. And also, um, just so folks can, I think it's important for community to see altars, because they might go home and recognize the altars in their homes, or they might go home and rec- think about a way that they can honor the folks in their lives, um, and folks that they've loved and lost. Um, and I think it's a great tool for education. Oh, no worries. Sorry. Keep on going, my bad. <laughs> 
So I think that's another part of altar building. And also I think um, building an altar specifically within the hoodoo tradition is important Mm -hmm. because a lot of people don't know about hoodoo still and we're on hoodoo land. Um, And so it's wild to be like everyone knows about everything else but hoodoo. So it's also a way for hoodoo to take up space too and for people to come and learn and and inquire. And they don't have to, you know, in turn go home and practice it um, and, and be a practitioner. But I think that Black folks in the U.S. should know about hoodoo um, and our special days and things the way that Mexican people know about um, Day of the Dead, the right. way that Haitian people know about Gid. Like, we need to know about this stuff. Right, right. And really, in Baltimore, there's altars everywhere. There's yes. altars all over the place. And whether people use the language of calling that space an altar or not, or a shrine or not, they're all throughout the city. Um, and, I, it, and I think it's it's it matters to give it a name or it matters to be like, yo, like we already are doing this, but I'm just letting mm-hmm. you know we're doing a thing. Like that is an ancestral thing. It's not, we don't just put out the teddy bear and the candle and the the mm-hmm. um, balloon or whatever for someone who's passed and the Hennessy bottle just because. Like, Definitely. We carry that. So I also think that even just having an altar space where we're saying this is an altar space, this is us taking up space. Mm-hmm. Y'all probably done this, you've seen this, but this is giving it a name and this is hoodoo is also really powerful too. It's part of that relearning like, oh, we've been doing this. Yeah, and we know the power of finding finally finding out the name for something, yes. whether we're finally finding out the name of hoodoo or finally finding out what anti-blackness is. Like we know the power of being able to name something and how that, shifts worlds and so that like what you said like being able to say oh my god that's an altar the balloons like the, the candles the cigarettes sometimes on the ground and the, like the very baltimore way of <laughs> like one cigarette um all of <laughs> that is just a way of honoring <laughs> right <laughs> there was two cigarettes on the altar and i think somebody wanted to put a blunt <laughs> and uh, i was yeah. like if y'all want to that's what you really want sacrifice go ahead because it's a sacrifice you can't take it back right it's you putting the weed up okay that's the spirit's weed <laughs> right that's the spirit's blood okay true um okay so yeah i love what you said about also knowing the name of something and being able to call it a, call our things a thing and have a tangible that's the power of the word um, and so I, I want to get a little bit into Chesapeake Conjurer Society um, and why you started that. Well, first, just tell us what is Chesapeake uh, Conjurer Society. So Chesapeake Conjurer Society um, started because I've done, we've done multiple events. We just didn't do them under any formal name. It was just us folks in the area doing random things. And everyone would keep saying, oh, I want somebody to do do stuff with or whatever like oh just hang with us when we do our stuff and so I kind of had a thought to formalize it when I started becoming more intentional about wanting to learn about conjure in the Chesapeake area specifically mm-hmm. I think because um in the same way that hoodoo gets overlooked as, as um, a diasporic tradition like the Chesapeake area gets overlooked as a one of the major points of hoodoo in the same in the similar vein of Charleston, in the similar vein of Louisiana, in the similar vein is the Delta. Um, and so it's just like, okay, so we have to do so much work to help elevate the Chesapeake and let people know like this is one of the major places, like one of, not the only, um, but like one of the major places, uh, especially because most black people in the US can trace an ancestor back to Virginia if they go back far enough. Like somebody came out of Virginia because it was one of the major, you know, ports 
parts of slavery, Virginia, Annapolis, Baltimore, and also because chattel slavery in the English colonies started in Virginia. Um, and some of the most oldest, the oldest African presence as a result of English colonization um, in the U.S. is in Virginia, um, in the Chesapeake area, and just all of the, the ancient knowledge there, too, and wanting to learn specifically, like, what are the... Um, not only the similarities, but what are the things that make us unique um, in terms of how we conjure things and how we do things, and that also kind of also reclaiming some of our southern, <laughs> our southern heritage too. Because sounds like you are not a southern state. I'm like the Mason Dixon line. We are a southern we state. Technically, are we really are. Like y'all going to put some respect. <laughs> in this area okay Okay. and so kind of also like combining that with like they're like um wanting to educate people more more about conjuring the chesapeake with the fact that there is a family a community in chesapeake doing things conjure things um just made sense it just made sense to connect those two things as like and to like really show that like voodoo in the chesapeake is a living tradition it's not just this past thing to research right and that's so important because I think even me being from Baltimore, like I wasn't feeling fully connected to what hoodoo may have looked like on this particular land. You know, my people come from South Carolina and Alabama. So I was doing a lot of focus there, um, but recognizing like, oh, wait, also like my people been here for a little bit too. Like I, there's, there's, there's work, there's conjure, there's, there's hoodoo, there's uh, particular roots um, native to this land in particular that folks work with um, that might not be in Mississippi or might not be in South Carolina. So again, mm-hmm. yes, to this, there's an, it's every, Hoodoo is everywhere, you know, wherever we just have to find it. Um, and I'm grateful to you for reminding me to look here, you know, to, like literally here in Baltimore, in Maryland, in the Chesapeake um, to find it um, as well. It's some amazing stuff here. Like it's like help. It's helped me be, like feel more grounded to actually look here. Cause you're right. Cause it's so easy to. I have family that come from South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia as well, especially on my mom's side. And so it was so easy for me to be like, that's the most deeper Southern roots. Even though I learned it from my grandma and her people are literally from Annapolis, I would like literally skip it right over Annapolis and I was going right down to Georgia. <laughs> And I know she was like, what the fuck? (laughs) You know, as an ancestor, like, you really gonna sit here and just, like, just just skip? And, like, okay. And so, like, it was really kind of, like, bringing it on home and just learning about also, because our people's people who migrated here also brought things with them here too and it also affected the, the ta- um, landscape and the tapestry and the part of the biggest thing I learned is like the Chesapeake area and the low country area have a lot of things in common mm-hmm. we have so many things in common not only with like our soul foods being seafood um mm-hmm. but just like a lot of our folklore like the belief of the bird flying your house that's you know it means certain things or a lot of things that we believe up here are similar to what people believe in the sea islands and in charleston area and so i know that a big part of that is because of migration but also um thinking about like the fact that uh down in charleston and down in sea island areas uh, down in charleston and down the Sea Island areas, um, they would do the ring shouts. And then up here in Virginia and Maryland, when they would excavate like slave quarters where enslaved people stay, especially in the kitchen, they would find like the Dakinga, like the the the, clock, the counterclockwise circle, and like artifacts of each in that shape. And they would find like marbles, uh, crab claws, coins, like pieces of pottery, and just knowing like that's a connector, like 
both of those areas used the same things, but in different ways, because we weren't allowed to up here be as overt in our practices. So we did things a lot more in secret. Right. I love the breakdown. I love the connection. I love, I just, it just makes me so excited because it's just so much rich. And that's why I love your work too. It's just so much rich history to uncover all the time. And it is right here. Like it is, it's literally right here in front of us. It's in our families. It's with our elders. Like it's within us. So yes, just I say to everything you just been saying. Um, so some of the events that um, you have put on, of course, we just talked about the ancestral, uh, the say her name uh, altar building event, but also like, what are some other things that people can look forward to? So we do twerk in the trees, um, which you know about. So we do twerk in the trees and it's also about like sacred movement and grounded movement um, and kind of really get in touch with your sensuality and just being able to possess yourself. I know a lot of times like, um, you know, with water spirits, like you can heal through dance yes. and we're like close to water all the time. And so like we're healing through movement. I'm um, like, and we literally twerk, like we have a twerk instructor, instructor come, um, Toya does belly dance and instructing we do guided meditation we do another dance um we do and it's really like um it's really woman and femme center and that includes trans women that includes non non-binary folks and the reason we do it that way is because we know what it's like to dance and it getting interrupted by people who want to consume you sexually. So someone comes up behind you, you're like, oh my God, I just want to dance. You know, I want to be free. I want to have a good time. Right. And we don't really get a lot of spaces to do that. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, whenever we do dance publicly, it's in like a very mixed crowd. Um, yeah. So like it's the cleanest space for us to dance publicly and not be interfered with and to really go into the healing part of that dancing. So twerking the trees is one of my favorite things. Uh, please come out. Please <laughs> come to a truck in the tree. I'm at the next one. I'm at the next one. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like, they are so much fun. And everyone just feels so much better about themselves and just how they look at themselves and what their bodies can do. And the same way that people talk about exercise not being a punishment, but a celebration of what your body can do, it's the same thing. Celebration of what your body and your spirit can do. Um, and it's just so... I love it. It's like one of my favorite things to do. We also visit, uh, we do cemetery work, work with the dead folk. Um, So we went to, the first time um, we went to Brewers Hill in Annapolis, which is a historically black cemetery um, in Annapolis. And that's where my people are at. Um, so it was a really intimate thing for me. Like, these are where my, my dead folks is and where my grandma's people are. These are where um, my name is Hess. And so, well, you, you just said that. But, like, my ancestors, I was named after the last woman to be enslaved in my family. Um, and she's buried there. And her daughter, who was also named Hester, is buried there. Um, and so, like, it's this, like my people are for real, for real in there. And so that was really special. Um, and we really want to do more work around cemetery work and cleaning them up. And, you know, also teaching people how to work with dead people. And it can only really be done, like, in person. You know, and also I'm trying to help, like, people work through their feelings about cemeteries too because it can be a lot of spookism and stuff like that and it's like it's a really peaceful place i mean it's it's loud you know it can be loud yeah but it's, it's peaceful. Loud, but it's peaceful yes <laughs> yeah so it's just like ain't nobody really gonna bother you whatever like ain't no humans gonna bother you but it's like it's like oh hey <laughs> like right. i have something to tell you like you're the first person and how healing it is to like know that there are spirits and entities that you know, that really and not always the best place to get out of that boundary, but you know, sometimes.
bag because I've noticed like a trend of everyone saying, pick up this kind of dirt, pick up that kind of dirt. And it's like actually knowing how to work with the ground, which is where our dead folks are at, which is where their right. bones are, which is where their bones are, and teaching people like what makes certain type of dirt special and starting with the most basic of learning what makes, you know, graveyard dirt special and how you come in, how you ask for consent, um, which kind of goes back into like earlier we're talking about the uh, uh, learning about evil tradition and in the evil tradition, like even the earth, um, you know, asks for consent because before um, they are able to garden or plant seeds before they like disturb the earth or plant a seed. They do a prayer of consent, mm-hmm. and so like I think that goes so much into we ask consent before we take the not only for the ancestors but for the earth before we take dirt from anywhere, and yeah. that's also a big part of it as well. Right, right. That's so important, and just being in right relationship to what we're around, which I think it's so much of these traditions that Huda expresses about. We just being in good relationship with with the land, with the spirit, mm-hmm. with the people, with the dead. And, you know, not getting too sucked up in the spookism and the, mm-hmm. the superstition stuff. But, like, there's there's a lot of healing that can happen in a graveyard and in a cemetery. A lot. Yes. Yes. And especially in Baltimore, where we know, like, so many people are, like, going through different ways of dying, not only for on the street, but also in the medical industry, because Johns Hopkins is right here. I was Maryland is right here. Yes. And we have committed a lot of things, you know, yes. to war helping us die tragically and what death work could mean for like the community like it makes me excited it's going to be heavy but it makes me excited for how people how it transform how we how we grew um and how this city particularly like grieves and how we work through the traumatic things and traumatic deaths and know that it doesn't always have to only exist under a layer of trauma right Um, but it can be under a layer of empowerment as well it can it can and they can they can exist together thank you for that um what else did I want to ask? Okay, I think I'm gonna shift a little bit as we sort of wrap up. Um I did want to talk about, you know, I think I get a lot of questions from people who are a part of LGBTQ community. Um and in the process of usually leaving or questioning Christianity, um, and mm-hmm. wanting to find something that they feel aligns more with who they are and they, they wonder. Like, can I find who I am in hoodoo or can I find who I am in different traditions of the diaspora? So I'm wondering how, I'm assuming that you have, but how and if you may have found yourself through hoodoo as someone who identifies as queer as well, um, how has it been sort of impactful in affirming your identity in that way? And also just as a Black woman. Ooh, that is, so it's so interesting because I had a really interesting coming out story with my grandmother. She was the first person I like, um, like formally came out to and she was alive, but her thing was like, are you sure? Are you sure? You don't know. You mad at some man. I was just like, yes, but that ain't got nothing to do with it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, I'm trying to tell you something that I think you've been new this whole time. Um, and so kind of like. I got to redo the coming out process with her as an ancestor and it felt really good um, to like sit at my altar and explain all the things that like I learned about myself and what I learned about what queerness is with just, you know, like different ways of expansiveness is, but also learning about how black people 
like traditionally and before colonialism and even you'll even peep it sometimes now it's like being gay is not an other being you know a lesbian or bisexual or pansexual just loving people in general is not an other it's just the way that we it's a part of our community and so people will try to say oh there is no word for gay in Africa like yeah because it was not an other like you were just a a person um and kind of so, you know, like kind of explaining that too. And kind of like, I just kind of really explained so much that I've learned. And the reason I did that was because like, she was always someone that you can get to through here, through, you know, like her mind, her learning. So that was like really beautiful. And also learning that your ancestors accept you and they love you and they had a hand in, you are them. So like, you know, they had a hand in creating you to be who you are right now and how you stand. Um, and even if some of them may have had a hard time ooh, in life is that a bug on me <laughs> outside um but i'm like sitting here oh it's my earrings this whole wow <laughs> this is a big right yeah you'd be like is that a bug on me um but just kind of learning like using um ancestor veneration as a way to like get love and acceptance from your ancestors Mm -hmm. and kind of, you know, them understanding or knowing like they made you, you know, into who you are and and everything that you are. It is not a mistake. Mm -hmm. Um, And also kind of learning how, it was a squirrel, girl, these squirrels in Baltimore be a mess. (laughs) Um, But also learning, they do. Um, And also like learning about like different stories in like African and diasporic traditions. And I, you know, like there are different deities who um, may display some bit of fluidity. Like they may, like, I wouldn't call them queer. I don't yeah. That's my place, but like they have a fluidity and expansiveness that is found, you know, in gay and queer and lesbian and trans people. And knowing that that always existed or also kind of like looking into creation stories Um and like kind of like where I kind of started settling on these like claiming non-binariness, it's like the creation stories, the 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 thing, the creator was like both. They were both and neither and all. And like they you know, like they created everything and then after they created stuff, you know, things might have became binary, like the mother or the father, the masculine, the feminine, but also kind of um realizing that like the energy of creation, I think, especially for non-binary people, I think might just be unassigned energy. Like it was an energy that's just not assigned to the dichotomy of um, either or. It's just like it exists because it It exists. That's like the point. Yeah, because it is. It is like the beginning of existence and it's not an unnatural thing, Um, but it's like very natural. It's like, you know, and so that's kind of helped me a lot to understand like my own place. Like it's an unassigned energy, but it's not like wandering or law or confused it's just like that's where the beginning was you know um so that just also on a gender level but sexuality too especially in hoodoo um with the blues that has been like the biggest thing of like (laughs) um just like being like gay or lesbian or queer of having that experience and looking at the blues because like the blues is like hoodoo gospel um pretty much and it's like knowing like how many like lesbian and gay and queer folks were like prominent singers and how like they were singing their blues and writing their words and saying things and just knowing that it existed in the past and because it existed always and also like seeing how big of a footprint that gay people and queer people put on hoodoo just through the blues and other forms of music and other forms of creativity and art and dance and then where we see the um the intersections or the simultaneousness of like hoodoo and our spirituality and our creative endeavors and 
knowing so many queer folks to find themselves in creative things as well um, was like a big connector for me too. It's just like, yeah, like even with the church, like it's like always a running joke, like, you know, y'all don't like gay people, but you're, you're a choir director, gay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but even with the church and like song and music, like there's queer people at that, um, at that crosswords of where we kind of, where both worlds, like the divine and the living meet, and they meet through music and song and dance and creativity. So that's been a big thing of like kind of deconstructing the idea of a crossroads and like finding creativity there and finding like queerness there um, and so many different things has been like really, it felt really home and yeah. I don't have to fight to like be seen and to exist, especially not in hoodoo, like you just show up pretty much and people still have like things from colonization you know of course to unpack or whatever but it's, it's like I with hoodoo I don't feel like they have the power to displace me from it because they don't like I just really take up the space that I take up and other folks take up the space that they take up but it's like it's unlike the church where like the people in the church have the power to make you feel displaced from your faith like with hoodoo I do not feel that way like I'm standing here and you're not going to lose me you know what I'm saying? You're going to have to learn to get over it. <laughs> um, and just being able to be strong in that conviction because there is no doctrine or no book or no thing that says that we are unnatural or that we're an abomination. So it's just like, I, 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 you can't move me. I will not be moved. Like, <laughs> you know, um, so that has been also empowering. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that because really, I think a lot of the energy of just hoodoo in general is just like, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Like, you're going to work with it or you ain't. If it ain't for you, and it's just in regards to our, who we are, our bodies, our genders, our sexualities, whatever. Even if we have a past, you know, it's just all of that. And who do is just like, what is that anyway? Like, it just is what it is. Is he going to do it? Again? Like, exactly. Exactly. Like, literally taking the survey of what's around, like, I got to work with this and this ain't moving. So I got to work exactly what you said. That's exactly what Hoodoo is. And it's beautiful mm-hmm. to be like, can't nobody push you off of your thing. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why I try to tell people, like, don't feel like certain folks for gatekeeping Hoodoo. Like, go to your family first and see what's there because it's in you. Like, you don't have to ask permission from nobody else. So that's where you learn it from in the first place is your family. Right. So go in your family. And if your family were super church folks, okay, the Bible, the talisman in Hoodoo, you know, the, the song, like the, the fact that the Holy Ghost don't exist outside of Black church. <laughs> for real, for real. So I'm just like, y'all have it in there too. You just got to really do your work. And yeah. exactly so just also that and learning like um just feeling that love and that acceptance and that placement and just kind of saying this is mine yeah and this is mine because this is my communities and my communities are me my ancestors are me I am my community I am my ancestors and just like feeling like you have a purpose and a place and you are loved like that is so important for people to know Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Come on in if y'all want to. This is the this is the time to altar call. If you've been feeling called the hoodoo and you ain't know, then come on down. It's time. It's a place for you to come as you are. Yes, yes, yes. Um, thank you. I feel like that's a good place to 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 uh, end because like that was that was gonna ask your advice or, or what you had to say to people who were thinking through but didn't know and felt like they weren't connected. But like if you black, especially if you are a black American person, you mm-hmm. got it. you just that's- got. It. You got it. <laughs> That's it. You got it in you. Um, so it's about that discovery. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, okay. So tell us how we can find you. Plug your things. How can we work? You know, what do you? How we we just love you, and we want to follow what you what you up to. So how can we do that? 
So I'm right. Um, I'm not going to say Google me because I don't think everything pops up and I haven't done it for myself. I'm going to have to do that myself. No, wait, no. That's the thing, though, because I did Google you and saw a lot of things. So, yeah. Google me, man. Okay. Um, of course on Facebook under Hess Love, um, on Instagram under Hess to Love. Um, you can also um look at the hoodoosociety.com forward slash community link um and find like a brief description of all the events that we do um as a part of the Chesapeake Conscious Society. And it links to my Instagram. So if you're like, hey, you my people, I want to roll up with y'all. Like I want to roll up on y'all and just chill and I have good intentions. Instagram me, message me, you know, like people are accepted, people are loved. Um, and we're not really turning folks away unless they're on some a mess, but we haven't turned anyway, anybody else away yet. So those are the primary ways to find me. Um, if you are in Baltimore, bef- and after the pandemic lifts, like you can probably almost find me at Dubco <laughs> on every yes. Saturday. Um, you can find me like at random parts. Like I just be rock like especially on the weekends, be wandering like around the city, just doing random stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so especially if you're in Baltimore, you just out and about doing things. Like you might eventually run into me as well. Yes. I love it. I love it. We can go Google you. I will have all of these things in the notes for anyone um, who wants to know and find Hess. I will have it all written out for you. And Hess, thank you so, so much. I appreciate you. It's always good having a conversation with you. I'm so happy that we've been able to connect and will continue to connect. So I'm just speaking so much blessings and thank you so much for your work. It has impacted me in a very powerful way, um, probably more than you understand. <laughs> so I'm just offering that same love that you've given me. I'm giving it back to you tenfold. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be on here. I was so excited. You want to be on the show? I was like, yeah, I don't do videos, but yeah, I'll do it. So I'm excited and I feel so honored. So thank you. And thank you for the work that you're doing of like really like helping people reclaim hoodoo and making this literally a movement. So I appreciate you. I appreciate being here, girl. Thank you. Love you. Thank you so much. All you need is a little juju. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of A Little Juju Podcast. If you would like to reach out to me, you can find me on Instagram at I-T-S-J-U-J-U-B-A-E. It's Juju Bay. Or you can follow the podcast page at A Little Juju Podcast, spelled out just how it sounds. Um, you can also reach me on, well... I, I done put my tweets on private for now and I'm I'm trying to take a I'm trying to create a healthier boundary with Twitter. But you know, who knows? You can still at it's Juju Bay, I T S J J B A E on Twitter. But honestly, hit me up on my website. Email me if you want sponsorships and media things and, and to sponsor an episode and panels. I love that type of shit. Keynotes. Email me about all of that. Please have a coin, child. I'm trying to listen, y'all. I got bills. I love you. I can't be doing a whole bunch of shit for free. <laughs> but email me. Um, if you want to send a donation my way, you can hit me up on the Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash J-U-J-U-B-A-E where I have a whole bunch of different offerings on there that you can consistently give monthly. Or you can hit me up on a cash app. Dial sign, it's Jujubay. Or I-T-S-J-U-J-U-B-A-E on Venmo. Any other way you want to pour into the show, I am open. But you can always just say a prayer. I accept a good prayer too. Um, on my website all of that is there i love you i appreciate y'all i will see you in a couple weeks and remember all you need is a little juju and happy 2021 i hope it's sitting i hope it's sitting well (laughs) later